We are live. All righty. Hey, chaps. So it's been a, a big week. Um, the uh, whole changeover, uh, kind of a feeling, uh, the atmosphere of, I think there was a lot of fear of political reprisal. I think there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, fear of getting cracked down and shut down. And uh, it was a, a very interesting as well, just to be on the other end of that. I think in 2016, the media memed Trump and his death squads uh, into oblivion. So that next day when uh, Trump won, you know, we were all uh, giddy and, and winning the meme war and celebrating and, uh, you know, jokes about death squads in the streets, rounding up people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there was a very real terror, I think, because people believed uh, that this was going to happen. And I think the same thing uh, happened in reverse uh, last week for us. Of We memed this whole thing up of, you know, AOC putting out blacklists of Trump supporters and FEMA camps and death squads and blah, blah, blah. And it's, uh, you know, people getting very uh, real, people getting uh, uh, deplatformed off of Twitter and deplatformed off of YouTube, uh, Airbnb, other things like that. You know, so there was a very real repercussion uh, for us that never happened to the left. But the extreme uh, frame control of defeatism of, oh no, this is terrible. We're all going to die in a FEMA camp. Uh, th that, that fear was very tangible. Um, and the Lord just encouraged me with uh, the story of Elijah um, when he uh, had confronted uh, the prophets of Baal and there was issues with uh, King Ahab and Jezebel wanting to hunt him down and kill him. He uh, ran away into the mountains, deep, deep into the rural mountains and hid. And so the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing? And he's like, Lord, they've killed everybody. They've, they've torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me, which wasn't true. Because God said to him, he's like, dude, I've got 7,000 other dudes who haven't bowed the knee. They haven't kissed the ring or the altar of Baal. Go back out there. Go back. Do what you're called to do. And so for us as Christians, as traditionalists, as uh, nationalists, whatever you want to, uh, whatever flag or banner you want to uh, organize under, we have a call, a very strong call from God to do what we're called to do. We know what our praxeology is. We we. You know, back in my libertarian days, there's no praxeology. Praxeology means what do you do? What is the plan? How do we do it? What do you expect of people uh, in your movement under your flag to do? For libertarianism, the praxeology is screw everybody else, retreat, <laughs> leave me the heck alone, no step on snack. That's libertarianism. That's the only praxeology is look out for number one. Nationalism and Christianity traditionalism are very praxeologically heavy. If you don't do the thing, you are not the thing. So with Christianity and nationalism, there's a very broad, a very low barrier to entry, right? But if you want to become higher status or, or given more honor in that hierarchy, you have to start doing the things. 
Um, and, you know, and so for instance, with Christianity, you can, you can join a church, you can be a part of someone's church and they'll welcome you gladly with, with open arms and welcome you into their community. You've got a very short time uh, to get on board with the plan before guys start coming and be like, Hey man, we need to talk. Like we need to sort a few rough edges out here. And, and if your if your heart is good, if your intention and your will is repentance, if you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know that I had to act this way. Like, thank you for telling me I'm going to change then. Great. Awesome. And you've now just received more honor in the group for being receptive to discipline, being a disciple. But if you do not take discipline, you're going to be ejected from the group because you're not following the plan. You're not working the plan. So if you're sleeping around with all the girls in the church, if you're throwing, um, you know, huge rage fits at people and uh, just treating people like a douche, you know, guys are going to come to you and be like, hey, man, uh, you're you're calling yourself a Christian, but you're not acting like Jesus. Uh, we we would like you to, uh, you know, meet with us once, twice, three times a week and we're going to work on some things together. And if the guy's like, screw you, then it's like, all right, cool. You don't come to our church. You don't speak to our girls. You don't get access uh, to the community. So the thing, the, the, the issue that we've faced as Christians and nationalists and traditionalists for the last four years is that we have had political power, political our flag has been on the main building. And what this has done is it's caused everybody to look to the leader, which is not a bad thing. Look to the leader and say, leader, do the things that we think you're going to do. And this works in a church environment, in a business environment, in a family environment, in a local economy, in a local government, local where everybody knows each other, or at least uh, can see the person face to face real life. That works, right? It works to put pressure on people face-to-face, neighborhood-to-neighborhood. When it comes to global or federal politics, a politician has to say things to very disparate groups to get them to vote for him so he can go off and be part of the big boys club at the main building. So then we think, oh man, this guy's a Christian nationalist. He's going to do the Christian nationalist things. And it's like, no, no, no. Politics is just like libertarianism. It's praxeologically, there is no praxeology except get elected. So libertarianism's praxeology is look out for number one. Politics's politicians, if you want to be a federal level politician, your praxeology is get elected. You will do anything to get elected. Libertarians will do anything to look out for themselves. And so here we have a kind of a problem. Christian nationalists do not get elected to anything higher, you know, anywhere in the federal level, because in order to be honest, you're cutting off the votes that will get you past the post. So you have to kind of tone it down and be like, yeah, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of chilled on uh, abortion. I'm kind of chilled on homosexual marriage. I'm kind of chilled on gambling, like, you know, whatever your, your thing is on, you have to loose, loosen your morality to collect the votes that'll get you into power, which then means if you, if you're a, if you're a 
a clever tactical Christian nationalist, you know, like I'm going to play the game and then I'm going to get in there and be Q. I'm going to be the guy who gets it done without anyone knowing. It's like, it's actually kind of lying. And I don't know how you can keep your conscience clean. You know, that, that whole thing of, well, the, the ends justify the means that, that, that's a very special type of psychopath that I don't think would actually be a Christian nationalist. They would, they could probably be a nationalist, uh, but, but probably not a Christian nationalist. So, you know, we get to this place now where, where, you know, four years have gone by and we've been casting all of our dreams and ideals on this leader who's not there to do things for us. He's there to be elected. And, and, you know, hopefully for a lot of us, we've used this last four years. Um, yeah, I say that about Donald very, uh, not about Donald per se. I think somewhat he did, he, he was very much a nationalist. He very much had a praxeology beyond himself. But the three branches uh, of government that we supposedly had power to wield was filled with all of these politicians who are looking out for electability. And so that's why nothing got done. We had all three houses for his first two years. Nothing got done. Had the Senate. Uh, nothing got done. And by I mean nothing got done, I mean, you know, big. Everything that the Q guys have been saying, oh, this, this is happening, this is happening. It's like, well, you actually had the political power to make it happen. And, and we didn't because there were people who refused uh, to be praxeological nationalists, people who love their people in place. Let's just explain this a bit. You know, a lot of Christians, social justice Christians, liberal Christians, enlightenment Christians, are dunking on national nationalism right now. I think they're petrified. Uh, I think the the higher up string pullers are petrified of nationalism. And if you can't if you can't beat the church, you co-opt the church. And so what's happened is we have this huge, you know, intelligentsia of, of church talking heads and influential influencers who've been given orders to dunk on nationalism. You know, I don't think, I don't think majority of Christians like, Oh yeah, I'm American. I have an American flag. Um, I love my country. I love my people. Like that's the extent of their nationalism. They're praxeologically. They're actually patriots. They're not nationalists. There's a difference. You know, nationalists actually love their people, love their place, and then do things that increase the peace and prosperity of their people in place. Patriots just like wave the flag. I love my country. Like it's, it's the difference between liking a girl and actually marrying a girl. Nationalists married the girl. Now they're like, we need, we need to get to work. We need to build a family. We need to do this stuff. Patriots are like, man, I really like this girl. I've got a poster of her on my wall. All right. So there's, there's the difference of that. A lot of our Christian leadership, influential leadership, have always been patriots. They've always had the flag. They've always said all the things. They've loved America. They're thankful for America, all this kind of stuff. But now all of a sudden, an order has come widespread to dunk on nationalism because they know that nationalism requires hard decisions and hard choices and lifestyle things that are beyond their own morality and their own interests. Right. So a lot of these big shot Christians interests are aligning with the big shot politician of stay, stay famous, stay in the limelight, uh, keep my authority, keep my power, keep elected, if you want to call it that. And so, you know, we've got this this huge thing right now of uh, 
nationalism is being memed into being a murderous, hateful, uh, yeah, there's, you know, you, 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 other, other, anything other than Nazi, I'm just like, what is another analogy that doesn't involve Hitler? But it's like, that's what they're trying to meme, right? Is that's what nationalism is. Nationalism is, the analogy is marriage, right? Just because I love my wife, I chose my wife, I married my wife, it doesn't mean I hate other women. It doesn't mean I hate other families. It doesn't mean I hate and want to kill and murder and rape and rampage. It's like, no, like, this is my wife, this is my house, this is my family. I love them. I'm going to look after them. Of course, I think my wife is better than every other girl. Like, if I don't, I've got, like, that's, like, what? what? It's like, that's nationalism, right? I love my country. I was, I was born into this. I love my people. I love my place. I'm going to do everything I can to, to protect them and, and bless them and be a blessing to them. It doesn't mean I have to hate other people. It doesn't mean I have to, doesn't mean I have to ever think of other people. Right. And so, and so here enters the grievance peddler, right? So one of the biggest things that you see with uh, enlightenment, liberalism, academia, uh, media is the frame of grievance. How that works is, and, and that was the original sin, right? The original sin uh, in the garden was grievance. Eve had grievance towards God that she wasn't allowed to eat the fruit. And she had grievance towards God for the perceived wrong done to her of being held out against or of being denied something. Well, like I, I have grievance. And so that was the first sin because we believe that God is not good, right? If you believe God is good, Adam should have said, oh no, God's good. Like he loves us. We know him. Like he, we see him every day. He's a good, he's a good God. He, he really loves us. Uh, and, and he said, don't do this. So I mean, we, we love him. He loves us. He's only ever been good to us. Like, okay. Like that's, we will, we'll agree. Like, even though I don't know, I will obey because, because he's good. But then there's this little accuser, this little journalist in the tree saying, did God really, did, did God, did you, did you hear? I've got a, I've got a high level source. I've got an inside source that says, you're not actually God's favorite. You're not actually uh, in his image. Uh, you know, if you, you, you don't know what you're missing out on with this fruit. Journalists, guys, that's, that's the, the oldest profession. <laughs> Satan was a journalist hanging out in a tree and he snagged the woman by getting her to have grievance against God and therefore against Adam. And then, and then got Adam to have grievance against Eve of like, you're the one who got us God, the woman you gave me. It's like, no, 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 like guys, Cut all the grievance crap. Cut the grievance crap. So here's the thing with grievance. The core issue of grievance is to try and get you angry or resentful at someone else. As Christians, this is a sin. Why? Because God, before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain for us to be redeemed, for us to uh, have victory over this uh, sin issue you know jesus comes as the second adam to restore us to a place of unity with god of, of communion of of connectedness back to god uh back into eden if you will um of working and living with god and, and tending creation and so why would we be grieved 
You know, if if I've been saved, forgiven of my sins, I just want to read this here. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Accounts will always be settled. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. So here we have this whole thing of bondage and debt and guilt and conscience and grievance. Uh, it will enslave you. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. It's a picture of us crying out to Jesus, right? Jesus said, um, there is now no condemnation. There is now no slavery. There is now no punishment, right, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have been covered by my blood, for those who have called upon my name for salvation, for those who have been, uh, who have repented and have received upon them my atonement. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. So this is us, right? This is us Christians. We the 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 master God had compassion upon us and paid our debts, released us from bondage to guilt and shame and uh, uh, all of the the baggage of our life, right? But then that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Pay me what you owe. And that's us, right? That's this current American culture. That's this current world. Uh, you know, pay me what you owe. And, uh, you know, the funniest, the funniest thing is like this whole black lives matter issue. Cause that's, I feel like this is the best issue. Feminism as well. Feminism and black lives matter. The Christian response is I've been forgiven my debts. So I don't go around picking fights and trying to get even and settle accounts with other people. I have to understand this theology that God is my vindicator. God is my protector, provider, promoter, that he is a good father and he loves me, right? Just Matthew 6, you have to understand this as like a core theology of your life, Matthew 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. One of our biggest issues with grievance is, is believing that God doesn't see us. Like, God, do you see me? And if the answer is no, I'm going to have grievance, right? But someone can wrong me, can do crazy stuff to me. And if I get in this place of like, God, do you see me? Do you see what happened? God, do you see how that person treated me? And if you understand God saying, yeah, I saw how he treated you. That's when this whole thing of forgiveness kicks in because you're like, all right, Lord, I ask you for vindication. I ask you for payback. I ask you for settling of accounts. And then I release that to him, right? Because I believe he sees me and will reward me openly. If I take vengeance into my own hands and I go and settle that account man to man, then let's carry on with verse with uh, Matthew 18. 
So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, and they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So one of the biggest things you know that I really struggled with uh, as a Christian was this whole thing of turn the other cheek. Um, it made me very passive, very libertarian, um, very resentful. But when you understand that God is a very active vindicator, now you can get to the place of like, all right, Lord, you see me. I know you see me. This is where this whole thing of heaping burning coals, right? If you if your enemy comes to you and you give him a drink of water, you heap burning coals upon him. That's talking about conscience, right? God, God communes with us through our conscience. It's our conscience which enslaves us if we do not forgive, if we do not act out our integrity. And so we get to this place right now where BLM and feminism are pushing just, it's the gospel of grievance. They're just pumping grievance into women against men, pumping grievance into black people against whites, just pumping grievance, grievance, grievance. Do you know, this is, this is mainstream media sitting in the tree, right? When women are already, they, they are already seen by God, loved by God, back in communion with God. Black people are already seen by God, loved by God, back in communion with God. And so this little tree and the journalists and the academics and the preachers and the teachers, and they're, and they're like, hey, woman, the men hate you. Hey, blacks, the whites hate you. Hey, woman, the men owe you. They owe you. Hey, blacks, the whites owe you. They owe you. And everything is just a, a variation of that scene, right? Every movie, every article, every um, academic course is a, a rehashing of why you should have grievance, why people owe you, why you should seek vengeance, right? And there's no repentance for it either, right? There's no way for a man... To, to get back in right standing with a woman, except through death. The only repentance is death, which Jesus did for us. Jesus died that we might have, boom, right standing again, right? But with feminism is concerned, the only way for a man to have right standing again, the only good man's a dead man. The only good white is a dead white. Like those are the only repentances, right? You can be an ally. You can, you can advance their cause, but it's always, there's never a, yeah, I can be a strong man, uh, you know, again, and, and I can take my part and do my thing. It's like, no, 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 you always have to, you have to die. Um, and so there's no repentance theology in these grievance movements. And so that's how we have to avoid them, you know. So so getting to this place now of, of you know, what happens if, oh, but Scott, what if you are black? And what if you have been stolen from? And what if you have been pushed down? And, uh, you know, what if you're a, a black woman, transgender, wheelchair uh, 
person, like the 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 absolute highest intersectional victim, oppression oppressed group, right? What if you are that person? And it's like, does God see you? Does God love you? Is God your blesser, your provider, promoter, protector? Because if the answer is yes, we can now start moving into working the plan, right? What does God want for our life? So if you go to Deuteronomy 28, which is funny, again, in the church, you know, a lot of the church thinks that Israel is this crazy blessed, like Israel's our greatest ally. We must bless them. Bless us. Like I'm more blessed than Israel ever was. If you believe in Jesus, if you've received the salvation of our Lord, the atonement of Jesus, you're more blessed than Israel ever was. You know, uh, there's a funny, I can't remember who said it, but he's like, uh, I think it was Jonathan Shuttlesworth. He said, uh, it's amazing how blessed you can be by believing just the first five books of the Bible than by kind of believing the 66 books of the Bible. You know, talking about how successful the Jews have been because they believe they're blessed and they act like it. And they have they have strategies of actually working out of blessing, right? And obviously there's a lot more to be said about that. But as Christians, I am more blessed. I'm more blessed than Israel ever was. I am uh, the bride. I am the bride of Christ, right? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, blessings on obedience. Now shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Christ did that for us. Christ fully obeyed and completed the obedience to God. And now diligently obey the voice of the Lord. That's our conscience, right? So if we diligently obey our conscience to God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, our conscience, living in a clean conscience, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Jesus did all this for us. We are blessed, right? Everything that Jesus did for us has caused a huge blessing to come on us. But if I believe that that I am owed or that I am cursed or that I am condemned or that people have held me down and held me back and that guy, you won't believe what that guy did to me. You won't believe how he shortchanged me, how he uh, stopped my career, how he put a ceiling on me. Uh, you won't believe, you know, these people don't like me. It's like, yeah, with that attitude, you're not going anywhere. You know, it's a, a funny uh, analogy, but it's so true. Uh, my father-in-law, he's a very silent, strong, silent type, right? He doesn't say much. And so when I met him, I was very intimidating. I was like, man, does this guy, like, I hope he likes me. Like, does he like me? And and I would have all this insecurity and worry. And then like, one day I was just like, you know what? Like, by faith, he likes me. Like, by faith, he likes me. And every time I, I was, you know, getting ready to go over to their house, that's what I would say. It's like, yeah, by faith, my father-in-law likes me. By faith, he likes me. And, and so that put me at peace, at ease. And so like now I wasn't all hyped up around him and like, oh, I hope he did that. Hey. And it's like, yeah, he likes me. Like now, like he likes me. I like him. We get along. Like it's great. But I had, I started in the place of blessing, right? I started in the place of faith. If I had done the opposite of starting in the place of grievance, like, oh, this guy doesn't like me. Or it's just because uh, I'm going to show him and, and, and I, and, uh, and like, the dude's going to be like, oh, this guy's jacked up and weird. And, and then he will dislike me because my faith is playing out. My faith is manifesting. All these blessings have come upon me and overtaken me because Jesus obeyed the voice of the Lord, my God. Blessed will I be in the city. Blessed will I be in the country. You know, I tell a lot of guys, get out of the city, get into the country. But man, if you believe you're blessed in the city, be fully there. Live out your conscience. Be blessed in the city. 
Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed will you be when you come in. Blessed will you be when you go out. You know, guys, if you're afraid of traveling, you know, we had a car accident and kind of rattles you a bit. And it's like, no, I'm blessed. I'm blessed when I go. I'm blessed when I come in. If you ever have fear, just declare that. Like, I'm blessed when I go in. I'm blessed when I come out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. So here we have this, this thing, right, of believing that God is my vindicator. God will fight for me. God will defeat my enemies in front of my face, right? But here's the thing. We have to believe this, right? We have to believe. And grievance gets you out of believing in the blessing of God into lack, into orphanhood, into grievance of like, oh, God, you owe me. Why? It's like, no, no, no thankfulness, gratefulness, like, God, thank you that I am blessed. I am more blessed than Israel ever was. And like, whoa, you did crazy things with Israel. You did crazy things with David. I'm more blessed than David ever was. You did crazy things for Solomon. I'm more blessed than Solomon ever was. Like, whoa, like, whoa. So, all right. Enough of that. Let me get to this whole thing. Where was I going? I was trying to get somewhere. Got, I got rabbit holed here. So, <coughs> Yeah, so I just want to I want to encourage you guys is just to avoid grievance mongers, grievance peddlers, right? So clean up your Twitter, clean up your YouTube, clean up your whatever social media you're on. Stop following people who peddle grievance, right? Because it'll get it'll get to you. Find people who are grateful, who are excited, who have a vision, who are going for things that inspire you, that encourage you. Use your social media as a thankfulness and gratefulness and vision board and like, man, like I dig this. This is someone who I like or someone who I'd like to be like, or they're doing something I'm trying to do, or like, I just find pleasure and enjoyment. It's like, that's great. Beware of uncurated programs, right? There's a reason, you know, watching cable TV, why it's called programming because they are programming your frame. It's uncurated. You can't control really what you're curating right? But it's the same way with a lot of things in our life of, of things that are like, whoa, I'm not in control of this frame and I don't like where this is taking me. Then don't like stop agreeing with that frame. Stop bringing that frame into your life. Um, argumentative and ungrateful people. So, you know, I used to be a, a big one on arguing back on Twitter. You know, people would be like, oh, that's not, you know, that's debatable. And, I, you know, like, I think that was a case of like, oh, I've got to prove myself right. I've got to prove. And it's like, no, like God, like, you know, you'll reveal what you want to reveal to that guy. And I'm carrying on doing what I'm doing. And I think we should be like that in, in all of life, you know. And, and I think online has caused this, this uh, very combative uh, atmosphere and culture, which is not true in real life, you know. But if it is true in real life, again, just avoid those people, you know, argumentative arguments. If someone's arguing you arguing back is not going to change their mind. We're, we're far beyond the IQ requirement uh, of, of a culture to engage in good argumentation and debate. We're at a point of like power encounters of lifestyle and, and the fruit of your life of like, yeah, you can believe you want to be a feminist who works 60 hour weeks for a man who doesn't like you. Like you can believe that I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. And then I'm going to carry on with my life and with my wife who I love very much and our life that we're building. And, and it's like, you know, if you ever want to, if you ever, uh, you know, come back around to wanting a different way, like we're here, but we're not going to argue with you. <clears throat> and then a, a huge thing to avoid is global 
framing, global, 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 or federal, 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 right? Our news works in a way that we're, we're constantly seeing federal problems, federal issues, federal stuff, and we don't really know what's actually going on in our county or our neighborhood or our town. And that creates a sense of hopelessness and control, right? We're hopeless because we can't affect it. Like, what can I do about something happening in DC? What can I do about something happening in Florida? What can I do about something happening in Paris? What can I do? Like, oh, like every time I've watched documentaries on like nature or climate change or whatever, like, and the sad music and you're like, this is depressing. It's creating like suicidal energy. Like this is terrible. You're never going to escape. So end it. All right. But if you go local, like cut all that crap out and go local, right? Local is, you know, what's happening? What's happening in my house? What's happening on my street? What's happening in my neighborhood? What's happening in my town? What's happening in my space that I live my life? You know, I live in a probably about like a 60 mile, 30, like 60, probably like a, a 40 mile radius. What's happening in my 40 mile radius? You know, I work, live, fellowship, family, all in about 40 miles. So like what's happening in that area? I, I don't really know. Why? Because there's no grievance mongers poking out grievances in this little area to flame up and flare up, you know? <clears throat> so one of the biggest things is, you know, if you cut out all those huge problems and you get local and you start being like, man, like, yeah, I like where I live. And if you don't like where you live, why are you living there? Like, go to where you have faith for, right? Or drum up some faith for where you are. Like, what would make me excited to live here? What would make me excited to spend my life here and, and get involved here? Um, you know, and that's where we start getting practical. So here's a big issue that, that really hurt me for a long time. Uh, it's this whole libertarian thing. But political idealism theological idealism, economic idealism, right? We have these huge ideals and, 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 and by personality, I am very much a, a idealistic, uh, more of a dreamer personality than I am practical. So I'm having to learn to become practical. I'm having to learn to, to focus in to action, not to just great ideas and, and things like that. Right. So one of the things, um, that, that the libertarian mind does is like, well, technically, the free market, we should have a free market, and this is how the market runs. Like, guys, e economy is so complex that you trying to impose your little free market idealism is going to have 23,000 unintended consequences that you can't solve. The thing about pure theology, you know, God is, yeah, it's like, okay, dude, but, you know, there's four prostitutes in your town and seven orphans and 20 divorces and 400 people hate their life and are in debt. And another 4,000 people uh, are, you know, like there's practical problems that as Christians, we have the answer to, we have the good news for the poor. We have the good news, the freedom for the captive, right? So as Christians, there's practical stuff that trumps pure theology. Right? Sure, of course, it's important that you get theological purity, that you have economic goalposts. But what are we doing right now? What are we doing in our life? You know, that's why the only libertarians I give off the hook are the New Hampshire guys. Like, I really respect what they've done, right? They've tried to do a colony idea. And it's like, yeah, good on you guys. You're doing, they're doing what, you know, now, of course, they're not going to hold that colony. There's, you know, there's no praxeology for 
protecting against parasites and uh, outside exploitation. But nonetheless, they they they're going to get there on their own. They're going to get to that place of, oh wait, we need to protect this. This is great. They'll they'll get there. They'll get to that place, right? So local, 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 local. Practical, practical, practical. Here's the thing, right? Do I think there should be a blockade on China? Yes. Is that is that practical? No. Do I have effect? No. Is that local? No. So how do I take that ideal and put it into local and practical, right? Stop going to Walmart. Stop going to Lowe's. Stop going to anything that sells China junk or or cheap China crap, right? That's practical. And that's local, right? I can do that. Same thing with like child sex trafficking. Oh my gosh, child sex trafficking, DC tunnels, pedophilia, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, is that local? No. Is that practical? No. What can I do locally and practically? Don't watch porn, right? Don't send your kids on child trafficking yellow buses to a school that's going to indoctrinate them to be sexually abused. Um, help uh, at your local church with their outreach to ladies. Like there's practical local things we can do that it's like, wow, I'm doing things. Whoa. Like I'm not just screaming at the TV and screaming at the, at the social media and screaming at the void. I'm doing things. And now that, that guilt of <clears throat> LARPing or that guilt of having ideals, but no fruit is now actually like, like I'm a local legend. I'm doing stuff. Like this is great. God sees me. I'm doing stuff. Amazing. So that brings us to this whole thing of of work the plan. You know, the Q guys are always like, trust the plan, trust the plan, trust the plan. It's like, no guys, work the plan. Work the plan. Work the plan. What's the plan? Exactly. You don't have a plan. So in Proverbs it says, a man plans his way in his heart. The Lord directs his steps. Right. So God has put desires on your heart. He's put um, ideas on your heart, passions on your heart that are your expression, your manifestation of God's image on earth, right? <clears throat> and so he wants you to make plans and start pursuing those things. And he will then direct your steps and guide you through your conscience, through just amazing synchronicities and miracles and blessings that he has along. That's Deuteronomy 28. It says, uh, uh, I will command the blessing on all to which you set your hand, right? Local, practical. Plans on my heart, what do I love? Local, practical. What are what are the next three things I can start doing locally to do what I love and, and what I'm made to do, right? That's ministry. Ministry is what was I made to do? What do I love? What am I good at? What am I passionate about? What would I do for free? What would I pay to do? Because I love it so much. How can I help other people with that? Like it's that whole thing of uh, a Christian shoemaker isn't a Christian shoemaker because he puts little crosses on the shoe. He's a Christian shoemaker because he makes excellent shoes and serves the people around him with excellent shoes. You know, that's what is our passion? What is our, our gifts and skills? Get local, get practical, make a plan and let God start leading you that way. You know, that's one of the biggest things with, with blessing is like, wow, God, I'm blessed. Like, okay, I'm going to believe you to provide for me and promote me and protect me as I do the thing that I believe you've called me to do. Get, get a little bit of faith, get a little bit of belief going and start doing, you know, just even small and significant things that God can bless you, can bless the work of your hands. 
So I think that's about all I got today. I um, just want to encourage you guys to, while you're scrolling, just be like, have a little reset every now and then of like, is this local? No? Okay. Like either unfollow it or, or disregard it or uh, reframe it to local, you know? Um, you know, for instance, Elon had that thing of he's giving a hundred million buck prize to carbon, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh yeah, buy, you know, 80 million bucks worth of this and uh, do this. And so there's, there goes my idea brain. Um, and then I was like, whoa, 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 but am I doing it? Like, what am I doing? It's like, yeah, actually my backyard, I'm, I'm busy doing stuff. I'm, I'm getting myself off of the food grid. I'm getting myself off of uh, the junk China grid. Like I'm doing the things. It's like, Great. So what I've just said that's ideal, ideally, is also connected to my local and practical. So I just want to really encourage you guys uh, to get local, be practical. Uh, you know, don't get don't get demoralized. Don't get black pilled. Like focus, focus on what you have authority over. Love and bless you guys. Um, yeah, thanks guys for the comments. Uh, KR. Uh, didn't know I had a separate channel. So this is just in case this gets banhammered um, that my uh, wife and I's channel don't get, doesn't get taken down too. So my wife and I have a channel. It's called Kelly and Scott. I'll just write that in there for you guys. Button Kelly probably. <laughs> Scott and Kelly. YouTube. And there we have more, um, have more, uh, you know, edited and uh, produced videos, if you want to call it that, just on our journey of home economy and uh, living out Christianity and stuff like that. Uh, do I plan to stream every week, John? Uh, yes, I'd like to try and do as much as possible, um, but I also don't want to hold myself to schedules because I suck at that. So, yeah, we'll get on here as much as possible, um, and I'll eventually start getting a rhythm going, I presume. Cool. Bless you guys. Have a good one.